Aloha. This is Catherine Cruz. Mahalo for joining us on The Conversation on this Aloha Friday, February 9th. Today we get behind the numbers as FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, looks at progress in helping displaced Maui families, how far we've come, how much further we have to go. We hear different stories from affected residents, from families moving away and moving back to Maui for stable housing, and from others who are still in hotels and waiting for interim housing and the barriers to getting the stability they crave. And why you need to think about your water supply when the power goes out. How can you help yourself in a blackout? Plus, we hear about an upcoming conference for those who are visually impaired. Know anyone who could benefit? A deadline to register is fast approaching. This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. This morning, we talked to FEMA Region 9 Administrator Bob Fenton, who's been on the ground in Maui since the wildfires hit. There are an estimated 400 federal staffers in the islands assisting with the recovery. Officials held a news conference yesterday on the anniversary of the disaster to talk about the progress being made to date and the difficulties with the federal assistance programs. Here's Fenton. We've leased almost 1,500 properties and we are continuing to lease properties as needed. Right now, we've licensed in, we moved in almost 200 households, and um, we are filling the rest of the units up as individuals compete the background checks and as we match people to the right size unit, one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, especially those that have, you know, they have pets that need places to accept pets, people that have access to functional needs. So we're doing all that matching right now, and then, some units come on this week, next week, so we're doing that and doing their background checks. And as soon as we complete that process, we then license them in, meaning that we move them into that unit and assist them with that, that move-in process. So that is all the individuals right now in our system that are eligible for direct lease. We've also provided a number of individuals rental assistance, and we have 269 that have received uh, households have received rental assistance for us, and um, that's up to the 175% uh, fair market rental rate, and they've rented on their own. And then another 144 are going through the process to request that uh, rental assistance. So um, the the good news, I guess, is that uh, we are starting to move individuals uh, out of the non-conscious sheltering hotel to a much more interim um, more stable, reliable housing situation. I think the other good news is we've seen over 1,400 families rent on their own, um, and, and that's good news. So they've used rental assistance, or they've used uh, their insurance, or were renting before and were able to rent again, and, and have started renting on their own. Uh, over 3,000 families lost their households in the fire, and we want to make sure that we continue to provide uh, housing resources for those that will need them long term. And so we continue to work, you know, with different parts of those that have been affected by the fires, displaced by the fires, to make sure that we're able to provide the resources we'll need. It is encouraging that we have dropped the number in the hotels to under 5,000, just under that. Uh, Can you say what the wait time is uh, generally from, you know, someone who applies to when you can get them in? As far as the wait time, it really is individually driven and it's based on how quick the individual is able to respond to our request for information, complete the background check, 
all those kind of things they need to do in order to be able to move into that proper unit. We're responsible to that landlord or that unit to fill out necessary paperwork and those kind of things. So as quick as an individual can do that, once they complete their background check, usually it's a couple of days you know, for that to be processed, turned around and be adjudicated and then for them to be able to move in. So I've seen it happen as quick as one week and maybe a couple of weeks. We are in the process of making contact to individuals that are in the hotels. We have, I want to say, over 700 households in the hotels that are eligible for uh, this direct lease option. Great. So they could be in, in an interim unit soon. Yeah, probably, I would say over the next month, you'll see the majority of those 700 go into the direct lease units. In talking with folks in the community, there is some concern that the FEMA assistance is artificially keeping some rents high. How do you address that concern? Yeah, it's a complex situation. As you know, Maui has a pre-existing issue with affordable housing here. Complicated, but I think... uh, I read that even before this event, I think it was the second highest housing cost in the United States. So a couple things we've done. One is our direct lease has targeted the vacation rental market. So it, it you know, is really focused on those units to not drive up the annual affordable rental market. And we've capped our continued rental assistance at 175% fair market rental rate so that it doesn't overly inflate the long-term rental market. But it's something we continue to watch. We're monitoring. We're actually trying to get data right now to understand, you know, what was the rate before the fires? What was the rate, you know, in August? What was the rate maybe like in November? So we can start seeing, you know, what is, where is the rate? What was the rate? Where is the rate now? Is it really increased? How much has it increased? And then not only us, but there's a bunch of other organizations that are providing rental assistance to families. And uh, I think we all have a responsibility to make sure that we do that cognizant of the historical issues here and make sure we don't do something to impact the long-term uh, rental market here. Yes, and I think that is, you know, uh, some of the concern that I've heard. You know, are there unintended consequences? You know, you're trying to uh, Rob Peter to pay Paul, you know, because you know you obviously want to help these families that have been traumatized. But then we're hearing stories that other folks are being kicked out. I just wanted to talk about that really quick because that's really an important thing, and and just really want to talk about the concern of not only people being evicted, but being evicted for potentially landlords providing higher rates, you know, to individuals that might have gotten rental assistance from FEMA. It's probably not the short-term rental market, right? The the direct lease that we're doing is really the short-term rental market, the vacation rentals. So that's not the area that we're talking about, the group of housing we're talking about. But we are giving rental assistance to individuals. We've given rental assistance to almost 4,000 families. We provide continued rental assistance, as I said, to over 269. And we don't see where they use that rental assistance. So one of the things that I would tell those that rent in Maui, one, if you're being evicted, you're protected by the governor's emergency proclamation. And you should notify the attorney general's office. If you go on their website, there's a link there to formally uh, put in a complaint. And there's you know severe actions that the governor and the county can take for that. Uh, we are uh, trying to publicize that information on the website so that people could make those notifications. For any unit where we see that as an issue, we won't rent for them. We will we will stop our rent, sever our, our lease, and uh, we're not going to 
lease to someone that is trying to get a higher rate from FEMA and evict someone else. Have you seen this happen in other uh, disaster areas that you've uh, helped? Not to the extent here. I've seen it in other areas. I think the difference is, you know, we're on an island here. We're kind of confined. And in other disasters, people go to the next county over and maybe move 50 miles down the road and be able to find additional housing here. You know, it makes it kind of difficult because of the existing issues that, that exist, either because of the vacation rental market and and the, the policies that exist here, or the lack of infrastructure to build more affordable uh, housing. So it's really uh, complex here in Maui. It's something that we're cognizant of, something that we are working with the county and the state on to ensure that we don't impact it further and want to make sure that people take action if they're being taken advantage of you know, during this event. They have rights to. Yes, they do. Can you share with us any information about families that may have moved away or getting rental assistance on other islands or in other states? Do you have those numbers? I know that there have been families that uh, have moved off island. We don't track their address of where they're at. We only uh, see their address of you know where they where their current registration is. So it's a a way for us to look at that, but it's uh, you know we what we see is the majority of the families, at least in our system, that register for FEMA assistance, which is uh, right now eligible, is a little bit over four thousand households. The majority of them are still on Maui. A small percentage have moved to the mainland, and a small percentage have moved to other islands. We would be interested in those numbers. I know the the mayor talked to us earlier, and he said that there is some data sharing um, that you folks have some kind of an agreement to share some of that information. It just would be good just because of the concern that officials have about people leaving the state because of lack of housing and lack of jobs. Yeah, uh, you know, and I think it's important to remember that 85% of those households affected were uh, rental properties, 15% were owners. And I think those that were rental properties were probably in the hotel uh, and entertainment industry. And, you know, very easy for them, to your point, to move to maybe another island temporarily and get a job, maybe in the same chain that they were working in here. So I think I suspect that a little bit of that has occurred, but really not that much. When you look at the numbers, it's less than, I think, 15% overall that have moved to the mainland and, and other Hawaiian islands. But I think. We're doing very well in debris removal. We also have EPA working on the water system and wastewater system. One of the things we want to do over time is the northern side of Lahaina is move from uh, cesspools to the sewer system. So we're working with the county to do that and funding from different federal agencies on how we could make those changes while construction and debris removal is going on to uh, try to get them on the regular sewer system. So as people go to rebuild, they're able to do that even quicker with being connected to the sewer system. So we're, we're making a lot of progress. I think the one area we need to continue to work on is housing. I would say for those in non-congregate sheltering, uh, many of them, as power and water come on, will be able to return to their houses. And uh, if they need help in doing that, we're glad to help them to do that. There's also a special message for those that are insured. If you have insurance, especially if you have ALE alternate living expense, you should be using that insurance to go rent a location. If you're unable to rent an apartment, come talk to FEMA and what we can do is we can place you in an apartment 
And then what we could do is bill you at the fair market rental rate through your alternate living expense because we cannot duplicate assistance, mm. but we can help people uh, right. that do have alternate living expense. The fund they have won't be sufficient to cover the length of time it takes them to rebuild. After they exhaust that fund, we can continue to help them with direct housing. I think that's not a story that many of them know, and we're trying to reach out to those that fall into that yeah, situation cracks. right now right, to make right. sure that they know that there's additional assistance for them, especially, you know, we're six months into this event. Some have already used that and maybe get to the point where that funding from their insurance company is ending. We want to continue to step in and help those individuals until they have such a the, the time that they can actually start rebuilding. That was Bob Fenton, FEMA Administrator, who we talked to this morning to get a better snapshot of how best to help displaced Maui families. HPR presents Kamaha'o Haumea Thronas. This concert is part of HPR's Mele Hawaii Performance Series. Kamaha'o is performing Sunday, February 11th at 2 p.m. For tickets and more information, visit hprtickets.org. Sponsored by Farm Lovers Markets. Support for HPR comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa with info sessions for the 2024 Distance Learning Executive MBA and Master of HR Management, scheidler.hawaii.edu slash executive. One Maui family who received assistance through the Council for Native Hawaiian Advancement Rental Program just arrived back on the Valley Isle after relocating to Pearl City to stay with relatives following the fire. It was a hard decision, but Jessica and Jim Davis were fortunate their jobs allowed them to work remotely while providing a stable situation for their young children. We start off with Jessica. We just moved back to Maui about two weeks ago. And you moved to Oahu to be with relatives. We did. So about two weeks, maybe a week and a half after the fire, we relocated to Oahu. Uh, We were living with family um, in Pearl City. Uh, The main goal there was just to be able to get as much stability as we could for our two kids. So we were there for about five months. That must have been hard, yet, you know, you were trying to make the best decision for your family. It was definitely challenging. It was a huge uprooting of our our life so we lived only about four minutes away from my parents and they were the primary daytime caregivers for our kids while we worked from home so it was big change in terms of you know who was watching the kids and um, you know getting getting kids into daycare and having nannies shuffling around luckily Jim and I work from home and so we were able to really quickly kind of re reestablish that piece of our lives, but everything else was a a complete change. Okay, but grandma and grandpa were able to 
provide help during this time? My parents were able to fly back and forth to Oahu to help. So my mom was there every two weeks for about a week or two at a time to help with the kids. And then in the interim, um, we'd have nannies and other family members kind of fill in the gaps. And so the decision to come back to a rental, I mean, you were able to find a house to stay at. Yes, so an opportunity popped up about three weeks ago from the Council for Native Hawaiian Advancement. Um, Jim put us on a list maybe a month or two ago when they introduced a program. Um, So we got on the list. We're pretty open to anywhere on the island because, again, we work from home, so we're we're fairly flexible. And uh, we got a call one evening from the CEO of CNHA, and they offered us an opportunity, and we jumped at it. Yeah, I mean, Cohio was putting it all out there, you know, trying to get landlords to please Kokua and open your hearts and open your homes because the need is great for this community. And for the short term, if you can just stabilize the community, it's better for the whole island. Absolutely. Yeah, he was definitely a a boots on the ground type of effort in terms of, you know, he actually, he called Jim. They had an hour long conversation while Jim was cooking dinner. Uh, We didn't really realize that Kuhio was the CEO. When Jim got off the phone, he's like, I just talked to Kuhio from CNHA. I don't know who that is. So I I Googled it and I was like, wow, you actually, you talked to the CEO and he, you know, chatted us through the whole opportunity and how things were going to work and, you know, about the house and all of that. So um, he had a really in-depth conversation with Jim. Once CHNA was engaged with us, they had some properties available. Kuhio mentioned that because we were willing to move upcountry or away from the west side, that there was more availability. And the important thing for us was being back with uh, the greater community on Maui rather than watching from afar. And and honestly, it's been uh, helpful for the healing process for us to to be back here and to to be with people going through similar experience. And was this the first time you had come back since the fire, since you left? I came back one time to inspect the property once the the area was cleared by the EPA for hazardous materials and uh, we salvaged one little concrete frog statue from the garden and everything else we're we're leaving to to the earth to take. What's it been like in these last couple of weeks? I mean, you know, I just was at a hotel which was a combination of tourists and local people and it was a little strange, I have to admit, just, you know, the vibe that I was getting just being there. Certainly. In uh, in the immediate days following the fire, we were over at the uh, the Four Seasons in Wailea, which is one of the, the, the most premier um, luxury hotels on the island. And again, there were there were visitors who had booked prior to the fire and they were staying there through the through the fire and they, they had an immense feeling of guilt but at the same time I understand they're here to enjoy their vacation and uh, it's not not an easy trip to make for families so yeah it's um, it's it's quite a, a dichotomy of experiences when you have people there who are who are helping the local economy but others who are uh, suffering and in such pain do you talk about healing for your family so I know driving through Lahaina it, it's hard so I actually haven't driven back through Lahaina. We're actively kind of avoiding it for the sake of the kids, just because Isabel is very perceptive. It was a traumatic experience for her coming out of it. And so we, I, we haven't taken the kids back through. But Jim can probably speak more to the 
like emotional effects of it because he's gone he's driven through right so you're holding off until you're in a better state of mind yeah i think until i'm in a better state of mind and until the i think the land itself has healed a little bit i'm hoping with all of this rain that we've gotten recently that it's kind of brought some of the greenery and growth back to the area i don't obviously i don't think it it probably hasn't happened yet but maybe over the next several months that'll help the, the land to just appear less um scarred but what was it like for you it was difficult. Our home was in the center of Lahaina Town, right right off of Front Street in Lahaina Luna, and that's one of the most well-known intersections in the area. There's so many paintings and shops in the area, uh, of the area, and, and I could hardly recognize the, the correct turn to make and, and our lot, save for the, you know, the, the shell of the car that we left there. Uh, so, yeah, it's, um, it's a lot to take in, and, and driving past Wahikuli, there specifically, when you're on, on the highway looking up, it's very difficult. So, yeah, I think for the children uh, and my wife probably wait until the, a lot of the clearing has been done and then it's a blank canvas and we can kind of um, look look ahead rather than look at the, the, the destruction of the past. Right, and then uh, how long are you able to stay in this rental? We're blessed to be able to stay until our home is rebuilt. So we've actually chatted with the landlord extensively and they just wanted to have a family fill their home that, um, you know, that needed it and they welcomed us to stay as long as we need to. Oh, that's awesome. And hopefully there are other landlords out there that are willing uh, to do the same to help a, a local family. Absolutely. But thank you both. Thank you very much for your time. That was Jim and Jessica Davis who are fortunate to have found a long-term rental in, hi- in the Haiku area. They are grateful that they may be able to stay there until their home in Lahaina is rebuilt. There are other families who are not as fortunate to have been placed in interim or long-term rentals. Le Moana Faalango says her extended family includes her grandmother, her parents, husband, siblings, and a pet dog. The Tongan family is close-knit. Their jobs are in Lahaina, and they share a car to get around. That makes a move to Kahului or Kula difficult. They want to stay together as one household. Many immigrant families are in the same situation. We talked to Fa'alangu about how hard it's been and how they are grateful to have survived this crisis, but they deeply feel they need to stay together. Well, we were first placed in Wailea, and then we came here to Royal Lahaina. Royal Lahaina has been great to us and great employees, and they're very helpful. And so what's the latest situation as far as getting into more stable long-term housing? Well, there's seven of us in our family, and it's been tough to find somewhere that's big enough for all of us. And uh, because my family works here in Lahaina, we prefer to stay in Lahaina to find a a place to be um, renting in Lahaina just because it's easier and closer to work so we don't have to drive so far. So it's my grandma, my siblings, and my parents, and my husband, and my dog. Because we all work, we kind of take turns to see who's going to watch grandma or who's going to, you know, if she needs to do laundry or drive somewhere. And we have other family members as well, but because we're all so busy working, um, it's tough. And if we go to Kahului, it'll be even more harder because then it's long drives, you know. 
at the six-month mark now for the fires, just what are your thoughts, just reflecting back about that whole situation? It's tough. Um, some days I still can't believe that the whole town is gone and that we're actually living in hotels. And living in hotels is not easy because, you know, uh, we don't have a kitchen, we don't have a living room, it's just a standard hotel room. And um, six months has been a while and we know we have a long road ahead of us and we know it's going to be longer, so we're just trying to adjust. And especially my dog, because my dog's not used to being on a chain or a leash all the time. She's used to roaming around our neighborhood. Yeah, so it's an adjustment for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what do you want to share with folks out there who may not realize just how difficult it still is it's difficult i mean we have some people like you know the tourists are make comments like oh get over it already like oh the fire oh yeah that like wasn't that six months ago you know they're very um insensitive about it so i do agree that lahaina opened way too soon for some people Uh, for a lot of residents they're still um, affected like you know it still hurts them a lot and we do know that there's other businesses, small businesses that um, need, you know, Lahaina to open up, but it's, it's a difficult way to find balance. So, but for everyone out there, you know, just keep your head up high and keep moving forward. You can't, you know, stay put or be stuck in one spot. You just got to keep pushing through and find ways to get through all of this hectic stuff. Yeah, so you just are trying to stay positive and stay together if you can yes stay positive stay together the only way we can get through this is together with everyone in Lahaina you know stay together and stronger and then when you folks were dealing with the wildfires I mean did you have enough lead time to get out of there I don't know how hectic it was for you as for me because uh, we evacuate a lot and know there's always fires in Lahaina I was a bit more prepared. It was just more tough because roads were blocked and driving out of Pomana was blocked. So um, we were able to get out earlier than most people. So we weren't stuck in crazy traffic. Anything else, you know, I mean, I know language was an issue in dealing with these different federal agencies. Sometimes the red tape is crazy. But yeah, uh, how would you explain to someone what it's been like? Um, as far as I'm Uh, having my parents and my grandma it's hard explaining to them what's happening or how to deal with red cross or how to deal with fema um because there are terms that they use or words that we can't translate into our language and um it's just been hard because they're confused sometimes or they think it's easy just like go to fema and do it but it's there's a process they don't understand that there's a long process behind it so just take some patience patience and because they don't understand a whole lot and they've never dealt with this before anything else um no we just appreciate all the help from outside and um, all the donations that's been coming in even till today there's still donations coming and we just feel the the prayers and the love from everyone outside and the help and we appreciate it so yeah thank you thank you that was the Heine resident, Le Moana Fa'alango. 
We talked to her earlier this week. You know, and we asked FEMA about situations to accommodate multi-generational families, whether they be Tongan, Filipino, Micronesian, or Hawaiian. Bob Fenton says to date, the largest home they have been able to place a family in is a seven-bedroom unit. The agency is trying to accommodate those who have special needs or those with children, but they ask for patience and flexibility when possible, as housing is so very tight. This is The Conversation on statewide, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Now it's time for your backyard quiz. Onihoa, olehua, onihau, okaua, oahu, omolokai. Olana, Omau, Okaholabe, Ohavai. Today we're scrolling through a roster of local acting talent to ask about a Levi Valley native who has appeared on national TV shows such as Park and Rec- Parks and Recreation, The Big Bang Theory, and Modern Family. This prolific actress was raised on Kauai, attended Kalaheo Elementary, Kamehameha Schools, Kapalama, and Loyola Marymount University in California, where she studied communications. She didn't set out to work in Hollywood, but while working regular jobs, she felt a need to act. She acted on that urge by taking classes and training. She went to auditions and visited casting offices. Her tenacity paid off when she landed a role in Superstore. The NBC sitcom was created and produced by Justin Spitzer, who had previously worked on The Office. Superstore first aired in 2015. It starred America Ferreira and Ben Feldman. For today's Backyard Quiz, we want to know the name of the Kauai actor who plays an employee in the fictional big box chain, Cloud9. Call 808-941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag from HPR. We are Cloud9! 8765431321 Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nareet Hawaii, which supports nonprofits providing parents and children experiencing homelessness with opportunities to secure housing, including Family Promise of Hawaii. Nareet Hawaii. Dot com. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Nikki Scully, author of Sekhmet, Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about Egyptian alchemy of transformation. Sunday morning at 11. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training, and the Rice Partnership.
know, the recent stormy weather across the state that we've seen serves as a reminder to be repaired, and that includes taking stock of your family's water needs. We saw advisories issued that in the event of an extended power outage, you need to make sure that you have enough water on hand since many county wells and distribution systems rely on electricity to pump water. HPR reporter Savannah Harriman-Pote joins us to talk about this. Hi, Savannah. Good morning, Catherine. Yeah, so what'd you find out? So, yes, Hawaii County's Water Department, as well as the Honolulu Board of Water Supply, both issued advisories last week ahead of stormy weather, just asking people to be mindful about their water usage. And we were talking two weeks ago about rolling outages that Oahu had seen. Hawaii Island also had rolling outages early this month. So I wanted to dig in a little bit more about the relationship between water and power. And I reached out to the Hawaii Department of Water Supply Deputy Director Kavika Uihara about this relationship. Our water systems rely pretty much 100% on Hawaiian Electric's grid power. So if we lost power for an extended time, then that would severely limit or reduce our ability to pump our water out of the ground and then to move the water around the system via electrically powered booster pumps. So we wanted to provide customers with the awareness on that and a heads up to prepare in the event that there was an extended power outage that we may have uh, inability to pump water on our side and deliver it to our customers. Yeah, I'm sure. So it's like Kokua, right? Don't go out there and water your lawn or wash your car. Uh, just kind of conserve. Exactly. And I think that that is kind of intuitive when you say it to people they understand that there's this relationship between water and power but it's not something that we think about every day and it's true of all the islands not just hawaii i wanted to look at hawaii specifically because they had experienced um, outages from stormy weather and these rolling outages but across the state you can't separate out our water system from our power system so how long, you know, does a power outage, you know, have to be to cause problems? You know, how long is extended? What are we talking about? That's sort of the question, right? And that's one I had for Kavika as well. When we're talking about Hawaii Island's water system, that includes 23 pub- public water systems across the island. And if the power goes out, there'll still be water left in the tanks. They just don't have electricity, so they can't use their pumps to refill it until the power comes back on. So if you're in a water system that doesn't see a lot of usage, Kavita said that that storage could last you a couple of days, maybe even a week before you turn on the faucet and nothing comes out. But for those high usage systems on Hawaii Island's main residential centers, so that's Hilo, North Kona, Sokohala, Waimea, and Keao, Kavita said the water supply in those tanks may last less than a day if it can't be refilled. And, and what about you know, areas like hospitals? Yeah, so they are very mindful of critical infrastructure. And Kavita says that they've worked to set up buffers in case of outages. So the hospitals across the island, we make sure that whatever water source is feeding those hospitals, we have an emergency generator there just in case power goes, uh, Hawaiian Electric power goes out for a while and then we can run these emergency generators to still at least provide the, the basic level water service to some of our um, critical facilities on island. So what have we seen so far with the rolling blackouts? 
Right. So this is kind of a, a nuance that sometimes doesn't come across too easily. There are two main types of power outages. One is the rolling blackouts, which we see rarely. So we did see them on Oahu and then Hawaii Island. And that's when HECO has to cut power because they don't have enough electricity to meet demand, right? One of their power plants has gone out. Usually multiple of their power plants has gone out. And they have to selectively curb how much energy usage people have. But they're able to make decisions when that happens, right? So they ensure that those rolling blackouts usually only last for 30 minutes in each community, which isn't enough time to impact the water system. And they can avoid areas that have a lot of critical infrastructure. So the real problem here would be when we see forced outages, the ones that we don't plan for and are often a result of bad weather. And Hawaii Island's utility lines are almost entirely above ground. So that tends to be one of the big problems when we see adverse weather are these big storms, yeah, down lines, and then lack of access. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, super rainy. It can just be windy, and, and, and then, then you got a problem. Right, right. And when I was um, talking about this, just I'm from Hawaii Island originally, and particularly on the north side of that island, you see a lot of very strong winds. I believe Javi was one of the first places, if not the first place, to have a wind farm because there's such strong wind generation there. Yeah, and then particularly what we saw with the winds in Lahaina, too. Absolutely. So, you know, everyone who is from Hawaii knows what it's like to come home and have your power out because there's been a storm. But what's really of concern here would be those bid disasters where the power would be out for a long time. So Lahaina is really top of mind. People lost power and therefore lost access to water as well as, you know, cellular, all those, all those critical infrastructure, the things that allow us to live our lives for a long time. But if we also look to Hurricane Aniki in the 90s, some people were without power for two or three months. And I wanted to know, okay, when I was talking to Tikovita, if we're about to see an incident like that on Hawaii Island, what is the department's protocol? I believe for our department, it'd be about preparing our customers for that potential. And that's why on our website, we've tried to educate customers, knowing kind of like any type of emergency preparedness, whether it's food, clothing, electricity, batteries, you know, kind of knowing your your family or your your personal water needs situation and just making sure you have a backup or contingency in the event power or in the event water, our department can't serve, provide that water to the customer for a period of time. Yeah, people just need to be prepared. Yeah, so the Department of Water Supply is working with the utility to consider this issue more broadly. They're also in touch with their emergency services department and of course civil defense and there's all these grid reliability measures that are coming up as well as like certain things like microgrids or undergrounding lines that are people are considering to make us more resilient to power outages. But right now, the onus is really on the individual to prepare. Yes, absolutely. But thank you so much, Savannah. Thank you, Catherine. That was HPR Savannah harriman Pote with a reminder about how best to plan in the event of an extended power outage because that could affect access to running water in your home or business.
Support for HPR comes from Mobi, a Hawaii wireless company serving the island since 2005, committed to providing personal service to each customer, featuring a locally-based customer care team. Learn more at mobi.com. Are you interested in working for one of Hawaii's most dynamic media organizations? HPR is looking to hire a full-time board operator with experience in digital media production and broadcasting. If you're a quick study, possess strong time management skills, have a dynamic on-air presence, and if you enjoy new and interesting workplace challenges, HPR wants to hear from you. Visit hawaiipublicradio.org jobs to learn more. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Maui. Know anyone who's visually impaired and could use help with technology? Well, the Hawaii Association of the Blind's annual convention is coming up. The theme is navigating the future and exploring possibilities. It will offer information on new technology that can help the blind live independently. HPR's Dave Lawrence talked with the association's president, Art Cabanilla, about new programs and new technological advances that can empower Hawaii's blind community. So joining me today uh, to talk about the event, again, it's the Hawaii Association of the Blind 57th Annual Convention, March 2nd, Ala Moana Hotel. It's a thrill to have the president of the organization, Art Cabanilla. Art, good to talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, it's a great pleasure to talk to you. And uh, so the event, first of all, let's uh, explain who the organization is before we talk a little bit about the event. Now, you guys are an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, but take it from there in terms of what your role is in the community. So that is correct. We are the affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, which is the national organization. But here locally, what we try to do is we try to engage the uh, blind community and assist them with uh, doing things that will help better their lives. So we have a number of programs that we have started in the last couple of years, things like our popular Holo Holo Shoppers program, which is basically a program where we invite the blind to come out and join us at a particular shopping center or a particular store or something of that nature. And then with the aid of uh, mobility instructors, we try to take these individuals and introduce them to the experience of shopping independently using different kinds of uh, technology, primarily apps that are found on, on our phones. You know, so there's a lot of apps now that are out there that assist the blind to do the most simplest task, but actually it's a really great thing to have because for a blind person, it's not that simple. Sure. So, you know, things like reading labels on a can, you know, they now have an app for that and getting directions in the store. Um, they have an app for that and so on. So there's a lot of, you know, neat things that I think a lot of blind folks are not aware of. And so that's why the Holo Holo Shoppers program is a, is a great program. The other thing that we found that makes this program so welcoming is that it also encourages the ones that are kind of like shut in, come out, because it 
um, we also have a social aspect of it. You know, right. while folks are going shopping, others are sitting down, talking stories, you know, having lunch together. So we're having both sides of the uh, spectrum being worked on. No, I like um, that. So that's kind of that's our, our biggest one that we have going. The other thing that we try to do again, again, create independence. So we just recently sponsored what is called IRA, which is a um, guided assistance program, I guess you could call. Again, it's another app blind people can use. And right now it's being used at the Honolulu airport. So if you want to go to the airport and you want to travel independently within the airport, you just need to use your IRA app, call up an agent. And then you'll get guided through the airport. That's amazing how technology has uh, has changed things. And th- those are great ways that the organization, uh, through their programs, and, and he kind of sums up a lot of how you guys are, are available to help folks out. And certainly this event, talk to you uh, specifically about the uh, 57th annual convention. Again, it's March 2nd, Ala Moana Hotel in Honolulu. It's 8 to 4.30 p.m. Then there's a reception at 5.30, dinner at 7.30. The theme this year, Navigating the Future and exploring possibilities. Talk about what's going to be going on at the event and why you think, Art, this could be particularly important or inspiring for some folks to attend. So if you are a blind individual, especially if you're new to the blindness community and you're not sure what's out there, what can be done, you know, uh, a lot of folks, when they're new to blindness, you know, they're they're having these questions of, oh, my, my life is over, you know, things that and it's, it's not going to ever be the same. But if you came to a convention like ours, you'll see that we have so many blind individuals, so many blind members that are doing things that everybody else is doing. We have blind vendors who own their own businesses, who run their own businesses, I should say, on a day-to-day basis. We have folks who are technology trainers like myself who teach other blind people how to use technology. Um, we have, I think we do have a couple of teachers who are blind um, and so forth. And so it's just really good, you know, a really good feeling to see that, you know, hey, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, I can still do some of the things that I used to do, uh, even though my sight is changing. Also for the family, it helps the family to realize that, again, the same thing. It's not all that bad. Um, you know, we can we can make this work. It'll, it'll be fine, um, you know. And it gives them more confidence in knowing that their family member who's going through the blindness has a good chance of succeeding yet in life. So I think it's really important to have come to these kinds of events. You know, our, our um, convention will have the usual, you know, library representation, We'll have some um, folks from DOE, some folks from the DVR, Division of Vocational Rehab. We will have this year, for our very first time, we're going to have an uh, exhibit hall where we're going to try to get some of the local vendors that support the blind to come out and show and share some of the things that they do and have for blind folks. Uh, it's going to be a, uh, I, you pointed a lot of ways that it can be empowering for folks, really, is the word I was thinking uh, as you were speaking, and, and uh, reassuring. Uh, and for people who want to learn both more about the event and the uh, organization, um, you can reach out online and learn about the HAB. It's hawaii.acb.org. 
hawaii.acb.org, hawaii.acb.org. And there you can find a link to take a look at the flyer and then to uh, make uh, reservations. You can RSVP. The deadline to register for the event is February 10th. And again, it is going to be coming up on March 2nd at Ala Moana Hotel, 8 a.m. to 4.30, and then a reception at 5.30, dinner at 7.30. And what's the cost for it, Art? So this year we are doing a really good, um, I, I think it's a pretty nice gesture. The organization is going to make it for non-members, lunch $20, and the banquet $35. And people can learn, again, more about it at hawaii.acb.org. And you got the link there to learn more. And then you can RSVP both by phone or email to attend. Absolutely. And that is the 57th annual convention, uh, Hawaii Association of the Blind, affiliate of American Council of the Blind. It's a privilege to speak again with their president, Art Cabanilla, who will be obviously at the event. And he named a bunch of other organizations to coming together. And Art, always a pleasure to uh, have you on and to show our support. Just reminding you, thank you. Uh, I'm really grateful for your time that you'd put yourself out there to uh, to help folks out. And the title says it all, Navigating the Future and Exploring Possibilities. Thank you so much, Dave. We appreciate your time and support. Be safe, Art. Aloha, brother. Aloha. That was Art Cabanillo talking with HBR's Dave Lawrence. The annual convention for the Hawaii Association of the Blind is on March 2nd at the Alamoana Hotel, but registration closes tomorrow. We'll have a link to more uh, info on the conversation page of our website later today. Now it's time for the answer to our backyard quiz. Earlier in the show, we told you about a Hawaiian in Hollywood who had the reoccurring role of Principal Kwan in the Disney Channel series Raven's Home. She also appeared in other television series such as Parks and Recreation and The Big Bang Theory. Our mystery thespian had the largest national exposure after landing a role on the NBC sitcom Superstore, which ran from 2015 to 2021. The Levi native uh, was a part of the ensemble cast, playing an employee of the fictional big box chain, Cloud Nine. After four seasons, NBC announced that she had been up from a reoccurring cast member to a series regular for the fifth season. Although Superstore has wrapped filming, you can still see uh, comedic actor Kaliko uh, Kawahi playing Sandra Kalui Okalani via online platforms like Hulu and Netflix. Fun fact, uh, Kawahi was part of the Concert Glee Club with Mr. Noble when she attended high school at Kamehameha. And we stumped you on that question, but that was our quiz. And if you have an idea for one you'd like to share, write to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Well, that does it for us for this Aloha Friday. Coming up next week, Punahou alum and Emmy-winning writer Susan Stanton dishes on the end of the HBO series Succession and writing despicable characters. Caller Talk Backline, share your thoughts about this six-month mark of the wildfires. 
That's 808-792-8217. Or email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. And a reminder, the conversation is available as a podcast. Our program is produced by Russell Subiano, Lillian Song, and Savannah Harriman-Pote. Backyard quiz theme, John DeMello. Theme music, Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday. Pick up the conversation.